You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Jack. Ooh, Brendan. Baby, we got a good one today. I, um, I this just, one's I big. Mean, this one's dear, big. Dear friend, dear just like icon of the stage and just, I mean, good old fashioned uh, human and chameleon is kind of like the best word I can describe. Rob McClure is, I mean, he's the we, man, man. Pause, moment of silence. Rob McClure, just. <sighs> uh, good. It's good. It's worth it. It's I mean, just, just it's number be... one fan over here. I know. I see you fangirling. I feel I you fangirling. I, I think I sat through the entire interview with like the brightest face ever. I mean, it was just, and I know him, so this isn't my first time meeting him, but still it's like every time he's just like the most inspirational, the most genuine person ever and just like ah can't get enough dude is professional storyteller and i mean if you 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 can hear my jaw just kind of like get lower and lower and lower as he kind of just tells his stories so i I mean it was just unbelievable interview and i'm so i'm so pumped for people to hear this one yeah and i i love the fact that rob's here because you know our whole point about doing this podcast is showing the different journeys of dance right and showing now how rob quote unquote labeled as a principal actor right mm-hmm. superstar and you have to be able to move and to get to where he's at there is a journey there and i know there are people out there listening who relate to kind of his side about you feel like you are more of a you know mover actor than a dancer but you still gotta go find that path so i love that he you know shared how he got his start in an incredible unique way mm-hmm. um and how he's kind of adapted that from role to role. And you talked about being a chameleon. I mean, I think it's just he's like, he's the first person to tell you like, Oh, I have no technique and, and what all these things yeah. and how he approaches movement is such a, such a cool idea. So totally. what do you say, dude, do you want to start again from the top and from the top? Let's do it from the top. A five, six, seven, eight. Rob McClure. This is huge, Brendan. My, my, what a lucky day it is. How are you today, Rob McClure? I'm fine, which is something that I never used to say. I used to always say I'm good. And now in the Mm. pandemic, I say I'm fine. I mean, I'm fine is fine as a, I mean, that's a golden standard right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I always lied before and said, I'm great. (laughs) I'm good. And now in the pandemic, it's like, just say how you feel, man. Yeah. Tell it, you know, (laughs) it totally feels like a lie. You're so right. That's right. Yeah. It feels like you're lying to yourself and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not good, but I'm fine. (laughs) You know, we're, we're, we're healed. We're here to get the truth. And so I appreciate just starting out with honesty. We love that. Yeah. So Rob, I mean, I mean, I've, we've both, I feel like, worked with you. Pos- yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, Rob McClure, for those who don't know, I mean, don't need to look him up because he's been doing literally everything. Uh, here in New York City, I've had the privilege to work with him in two of his Broadway shows. Hi. Um, he did a honeymoon in Vegas where he was the star Jack. Uh, and also uh, in Something Rotten where he took a star turn as Nick Bottom. Um, but you can also catch him in Mrs. Doubtfire when Broadway is back up and running. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Come on back, Broadway. It's absolutely going to come, come back. back. 
And uh, I know you've done a, an extensive uh, Muni resume. If Jack, you want to just bang those out? Yeah. Um, Jerome Robbins, mm-hmm. Cornelius and Hello Dolly, Adam's Family, Into the Woods, uh, Farquad and Shrek. Mm-hmm. Um, hold so on. So few. There's another one. There's another one. Bert, Bert and Mary Poppins. Bert and Mary Poppins. There it is. There it is. Seymour and Little yes. Shop. Seymour Little Shop. Yeah. All so, standout perform. I mean, every every year when you're there, just people can't get enough of Rob. It is I'm, a blast. favorite. It is truly a blast. I uh, it, it's one of my favorite places to perform ever, and uh, the people in St. Louis are so incredible. Um, and the way they celebrate that place and what they do in Forest Park every summer is like. It's where you want to tell stories because you will never do it for 11,000 more hungry theater fans than there. It's it's an extraordinary thing. You know, I told the story on another episode about the rain delays in Hello, Dolly that we had and how we, you know, continued with um, the song Hello, Dolly. And then I said how the audience is still there. They're all underneath their ponchos and their jackets and the house lights are on, but they they stayed at the end. So they absolutely did. You're not going to miss Beth Level saying that, even if you're getting drenched. Never, um, never. My yes. favorite, one of my favorite Muni magic moments, as they call it, Muni magic. Um, there's two that I could fly through real quick. One uh, is that I run the seats of the theater like, for my warm up, like a sports stadium. I start down by the stage and I run row A, B, C, D, and I get all the way to the top. I do a quick vocal warm up and I come back. And I had done that for like ten years, and then I got to the Muni and looked out at this eleven thousand seat stadium, <laughs> and I was like. Well, I can't let this one be the one that beat me. So it took 70 minutes. Oh, my God. Uh, And what's fun is that they would open the free seats. So the last thousand seats at the Muni are free. And they would Mm -hmm. open access to those free seats an hour before half hour. So they would start filing into the free seats when I would start running at the bottom. And the first time I did it, I could tell that they were all like, who is this lunatic? What who is, is running the sea? And then they were like, oh, that's Seymour <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. the show, when the show started. Um, and then the following summer, when I came back, those people knew that I run the seats. So every year since, I'll go run the seats and people will make signs like run, Rob, run. And when I get to the top, they've got Gatorade for me. And there's like they a do the wave. They do, they do the wave. We do a big <laughs> high five line when I get to the top. It's the <laughs> sweetest thing. Ever. And my other favorite Muni magic moment was when I was playing Bert and Mary Poppins. There was this incredible three-story house that they built, this gigantic set piece. And at the end of the show, Jenny Powers flew over 11,000 people uh, as Mary Poppins. And I'm on top of the house with my hat, my little Newsies cap, which you both can relate to, hmm. waving to Jenny Powers as she's flying over 11,000 people, right? So not only do I get the view of 11,000 kids looking up at her as she's flying over them, which is extraordinary, but on opening night was the first time, as happens at the Muni, that we were doing that part of the show at that time of night. We had never done the show at that moment. You know, we never never started at 8.08 and gone through as we would. So little did I know that when we got to that moment on opening night, I would be waving to Jenny Powers, and only from my point of view on top of that house alone did Jenny go through the moon. And I I started sobbing, and I was like, no one can see this but me. I'm the only one who can see this. Um, I could tell a million stories about the Muni, but that was a good one. Oh, my Lord. I mean, yeah, that's that's, that's just – yeah theater magic truly i mean muni magic is the only way to like to really 
give it justice. But absolutely, Rob, we are so thrilled you're here. Um, as I mean, as somebody who's just who, who works as hard as you, who who I I mean, I respect with the utmost, mutually respect. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> You but said I think there's something about truth, Brandon. You said tonight's it's about, about truth. truth. It's about <laughs> truth. honesty. I will say, in my my honeymoon in Vegas uh, poster, which I have, um, kind of like my Broadway shows, kind of around my apartment, and I have this this honeymoon in Vegas poster. I loved the show, and I yeah. thought it was such a comic genius. It's uh, it's hanging in my bathroom. It's it's the Perfect. one that's like in the bathroom, like. Westside and Newsies are up in the living room and be like, I'm, you know, these are like the, my huge dance shows and honeymoon. It was just a, a raucous party. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? We're going in the bathroom. Yep. My Sardi's <laughs> caricature <laughs> is in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Right. Feels right. But we want to talk a little bit about, because we are, we are again from the top. We, we talk about kind of like uh, how important the, the dance journey has been kind of yeah. in, in people's career and in, in theater, in film, what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you're such a perfect guest for this because I think people think Rob McClure, they think actor, principal actor, all these things. But I think there's such an element of your movement quality and how you approach dance as not just like, all right, this is going to be a tendu and prep, plie, like a pirouette, what, what have you. You absolutely have that experience, but I think there's something so incredible about how you approach a movement when you are creating a character that I kind of want to just like start it off running with you kind of like in your approach of that. Please. I love that. Um, I think I think it comes from um, having to make dance work when I was asked to dance as someone who was not trained as a dancer. So mm. I owe any of my movement abilities to the choreographers and primarily the dance captains that I've had along the way. Because I know uh, that my first professional show ever was Carousel at the Paper Mill Playhouse and the choreographer was Robert LaFosse. And Mm. I had never um, uh, taken dance class. I had done my high school shows. And I landed in the, I got cast primarily to play Enoch Snow Jr. in act two, but they wanted me to double in the ensemble. So we get there the first day of rehearsal and they're like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to start all of rehearsal for this show at Paper Mill with the dance break in June is busting out all over. And I was like, okay. And little did I know that we had gotten a packet um, with written out choreography for the dance uh, break from Robert LaFosse that was like chasse, pot of ball change, if people wanted to get a head start in their head. And I was like... <laughs> And I looked looked at the piece of paper, and it was like it was in Egyptian. Like I I I had no idea what and I didn't know what any of these words meant. And as they started, um, this uh, this amazing, amazing, amazing guy named Sean Kelly was uh, our dance captain. And I pulled him aside on the first break, and I said, "Hey, hey, listen, I, I'm pretending. I <laughs> I don't know what any of this means." And sweet Sean took every one of his breaks to be like, this oh. is what they mean by Chasse. This is what they mean by Potter Beret. This is what they mean by. And by the end, I could pull it off with, and, and of course they cut me from anything requiring technique, but damn, but, well, cause I couldn't do it. I had no idea what I was doing. They're like, just spot. Then you could do that double. And I'm like, I don't know what either of those things mean. A double to I'm me. I'm not is wearing a- any spots. <laughs> yeah. A double to me is what they give you when you ask for a cheeseburger or a five guys. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I genuinely didn't know. But what what has happened over the last 20 years is that somebody sees me in Carousel and goes, oh, he can move. And mm -hmm. then they cast you. And then they cast you with the expectation that you can move. And if you're lucky, you have an extraordinary choreographer and a great dance captain who's willing to push you. And then at the end of that show, I remember um, where Brendan and I met was doing Where's Charlie at Encores. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Alex, our amazing choreographer, um, he he wanted me to do like a big old Ray Bolger tap break in the middle of Once in Love with Amy. And, uh, and I, I just said, listen, I am so down to learn. And we busted our butt in a room and then I did it. And um, what's so fun about the way this industry works is that then people come to see Where's Charlie and say, oh, Rob McClure taps. And the next mm -hmm. thing you know, you're cast in the next show and the choreographer is going, well, you tap, right? And you're going like, I tap those 64 bars of that wow. dance break in Once Love with Amy. <laughs> Right. Um, and, and that doesn't just go for dance that goes for, you know, Chaplin, you're, you're walking a tightrope and you're playing a violin and then a, a director sees you and goes, Oh, you walk a tightrope and you play a violin. No, no, no. I just know how to do what I needed to do for that show. Mm -hmm. But when you do that for 20 years, the next mm -hmm. thing you know, you're working with Casey Nicola on something rotten. And he goes, this is the tap break where the tap off between you and Christian Borel. And he goes, <laughs> it's stop, sh you know, stomp, shuffle, hop flat ball change. And I actually know what that means mm. because for 20 years, choreographers and dance captains have had faith in me to pick it up. And then you do that long enough and you start to acquire a, a vocabulary for it. But nowhere do I think uh, any technique I have is usually more character driven than, than technique driven. Cause I just don't know what that means. I'm usually imitating people like Brendan. You know what I mean? Never heard of him. Like Never I, heard of him. Like why? You know what I mean? You just see, like, it's it was usually just me in the back watching the person who clearly knows what these words mean and trying to act like them. <laughs> and what you guys, I mean, for for those listening, it's um uh, what Rob's talking about as far as like this encore show. I mean, we uh, the rehearsal process is a week and a half, yeah. if that, yeah. to put on what back in literally Rob's and I's day. It was still considered a concert. I'm I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see. It's um, but it was quickly discovered. Oh, we're doing a full production. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, if you're learning a dance break, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Alex Sanchez brings you into a room and says, "Okay, we're doing this," and you have a couple hours to learn it, and then it's not revisited until surprise. There's an audience. Yeah. Here's how they got around the whole reading thing. So equity rules right. for encores to be able to pay you what encores pays you. You have to have the binder in your hand. So Alex Sanchez was like, well, what if we make Amy of Once in Love with Amy your binder? And you can mm -hmm. dance with your binder. And you're like, yeah, but then it's got to be closed and I'm dancing with it. I can't be looking at words. So then why am huh. I holding the binder at all? We're like, because equity needs you to have the binder in your hand in case you need it. And you're like, what a right. very what, what a very specific <laughs> answer. That's Thank exactly. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's unreal. Oh um, so let's dive into Chaplin for sure. a second. First of all, like I, for the past however many years since that has been on Broadway, had one have been wanting to like make my own Tony Award for you and mail it <laughs> to you somehow. But like it is, I just I don't understand oh. is what I'm saying. And um, it's truly like one of my favorite shows of all time. Like oh. I just sat there in complete amazement from like top to bottom of everything going on. So first of all amazing oh, um thanks. but talk about 
the creation, obviously diving into someone like Chaplin is a different beast of its own, right? Yeah, yeah. The silent aspect to it and just portraying your words through character and then leading that into movement, right? So where did you find the line of your character movement and dance? Like how did that kind of go hand in hand with each other because that was truly a performance you weren't just like being a character like that is diving in from head to toe understanding what this person's life is how they moved how they talk you know everything it's just true so how does that all go hand in hand from the choreography aspect just like that walk yeah i mean it's an amazing thing you know i i i I, once i started researching I, i was mad that it took me getting cast as Charlie Chaplin to watch all of Charlie Chaplin's movies. Cause as I'm watching mm. them, I'm going, everyone should watch these. Like mm. you realize the artistry and how, how 70% of the things you've seen since are derivative of it. When you watch it, you're <laughs> like, Oh my God, that bit in that movie I watched the other day is a variation on the donut bit from a dog's life. Like you, like literally you go, Whoa, he, he did all of this first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, but in terms of approaching the physicality, I was really, really lucky. Well, two things. One is that I started to adapt Chaplin's frame of mind for things I didn't know how to do, which is that Charlie Chaplin would agree to do things before he knew how to do them. Mm-hmm. So he would like, <clears throat> when he walked a tightrope in the movie The Circus, mm-hmm. he had the idea for a film about the circus and a bit on a tightrope, told his crew on his film lot in California to start building a circus and while they were building the set, he tied a rope between two trees on the lot and taught himself how to walk a tightrope. And that oh was God. that's the type of guy he was. And what studying him made me realize is that the distance between being able to do something and not is the amount of work you're willing to do. No one is born knowing how to do any of those things. Like it's just how hard do you want to be able to do it? If you want to be able to do it, go figure it out. Um, And Chaplin, the man, and studying him as the one who lit a fire under my ass to say, hey, um, if you're going to play Charlie Chaplin, that's the first thing you need to incorporate is that the mindset of like, bring it on. You need me to run on a spinning table. I don't know how to do that. Give me a half an hour. And you go in the other Mm -hmm. room and you start running on a table and you fall 30 times. Like you just Mm – figure it out. Um, but in terms of the, the actual movement, I was so lucky that in La Jolla, they hired a clown named Dan Kamen, this really brilliant clown who had written six books on Chaplin. And the first day of rehearsal, we were uh, starting a bit that ended up getting cut eventually uh, from one of Chaplin's earliest bits called The Inebriate, where he would sneak into the back of a vaudeville house and pretend to be a drunk audience member and then go up on stage and ruin the show. But like, Ah. but like athletically so. So the audience was fooled into thinking that this was a drunk audience member. And by the end he would be doing something so extraordinary that they would realize they had, they had been duped and he is part of the show. Um, And uh, so Dan said to me, how are you going to play the drunk stuff? This is day one of La Jolla rehearsal. I had just been cast to play Charlie Chaplin. And he goes, how are you going to play the drunk stuff? And that's a trick question for actors because playing drunk always you want to have a smarty pants answer. So I gave my smarty pants answer, which is, well, drunk people are trying not to be drunk. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. And then Dan went, no, I mean physically. 
And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm going like, well, I can't say I'm going to stagger around, Dan. Like I, what, what, I didn't know what the, I didn't, I didn't know what, what answer he wanted from me. Right. So Dan goes, okay, close your eyes and stand still. I said, okay. And he held a pencil on top of my head, pointing up toward the sky, he told me to close my eyes and stand perfectly still. I did. And he held a piece of paper against the pencil that I didn't know he was holding. Right. So I opened my eyes. And he goes, look, you thought you were standing still, but you're, the pencil was drawing all of these tiny little spirals on this piece of paper because when you're born, gravity wants your body to be laying on the ground. The mm -hmm. spinning planet wants to pull you so that you're laying against the ground and your body learns these microscopic muscular adjustments to keep you perpendicular to gravity when you start to stand as a child. When you're drunk, those adjustments are delayed. So what I would like you to do is close your eyes and stand still and let gravity win. And I would stand there and he would go, okay, let it win, let it win, let it win. And I would start to tilt one way and then he would go, okay, now fix it. And then I would fix it. And now he goes, well, now you're not, not drunk anymore. So that's, that adjustment's going to send you the other way. So you're constantly, the adjustments are always a 10th of a second after that. So all of a sudden we were mathematically defining drunken behavior. With the science, and I thought, if this is what this is going to be, I'm <laughs> super excited and absolutely terrified, <laughs> right? So then you get into things like the Chaplin walk, and he's going, yeah, that looks great. You're walking like a duck. Why? Why are you walking like that? And I go like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to imitate him. He said, that's what it looks like. Mm. He said, Okay. Well, let's get the costume. Okay, you put on shoes that are six sizes too big. And the first thing you need to do to not step out of those shoes is turn out. Because if you walk straight, you'll step right out of the shoes. If you, right. turn, if you turn your feet out, you can drag them along with you. Okay, well, then the pants are six sizes too big. So the fabric's going underneath your heel. So you kind of need to foof your legs to keep the fabric in front of you or else you're going to step on the fabric. Then you're putting on a coat that's too tight. So you arch your back to get the button done. But then once you've done the button, your back needs to be arched or else you're going to pop the button. So all of a sudden you have this amazing posture and then they give you this hat that's kind of too small. So <laughs> unless your head is straight up and down, it'll fall off your head. So there's no like room for craziness. So all of a sudden you're walking like the little tramp out of complete necessity, not because you're imitating Charlie Chaplin. But then he gets me at the end, and I'm, this is the most long-winded answer ever, but he gets me at the end by saying to me, but why don't the clothes fit? Mm. And I said, well, it's a, it's a wonderful like comic silhouette for a clown. And he goes, you're not understanding me. Why, don't, why doesn't he have clothes that fit him properly? And eventually the next day, I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, because they're not his clothes. The little tramp is a homeless guy. He picked mm -hmm. them out of a mm -hmm. trash can and is like mm -hmm. piecing together this outfit to try and make people walking by think he's someone important. And if he can tip his hat to make them think he's a doctor or a, or a, someone more important than he is, he can get people to take him more seriously. And that's the underbelly of the comedy that made him the most famous man in the world in two years in 1916. Like that had never been done before. And I've taken that aspect to my comedy and my movement since mm -hmm. that show. I, I've, I've done everything differently than I would have had I not done that show. All from a clown. That's yeah. mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because you, you, you think, I mean, 
I know everyone's just like, okay, don't the clothes fit, right? That is a, I mean, that's a genius well, question and, to be posed. And, and, and what's so brilliant about it is that you start to realize, I, I remember I was doing the walk in, in a rehearsal and I was watching one of the movies and he did this little shoulder pop. It was a really cute little shoulder pop. And the next day in rehearsal, I incorporated it. And he said, what's with the shoulder pop? And I was like, oh, it's a really fun like variation on that. He goes, that is not how this works. What is with the shoulder pop? And I said, I saw him do it in a movie. Go back and see why he did it. Find four other times that he does a shoulder pop and you'll start to understand what it means. So I went and watched it. And he's uh, every time he was disappointed by either like a woman or an opportunity. And as he was walking away, he was brushing it off. And that shoulder would pop up, like almost like a boxer who had just lost a round and is going back to the corner. And he said, you are speaking a silent language. If you're making silent movies, the language you're speaking is body language. Nothing mm -hmm. can be extraneous. When we put this movie in a box and we ship it to China with no words, you need to be speaking their language. And so every tick, every nuanced little thing had to be, had to have sentence structure. You know what I mean? Like it was all about silent communication. And I, it's shaped how I approach performance since. And I think getting back to your original question, Brendan, that's what informs my dance now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's how I approach dance is why am why am I moving like this? Why am I Absolutely. doing what I'm doing? We've always been, I mean, as far as like, I mean, uh, in, the, in the choreography land, we always want to know, okay, why, why is this, why is this ensemble dancing? Why is this character moving in a certain way? What are they doing to fuel the story that's trying to be told, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're just doing steps. Yep. I mean, in, even in an audition setting, and I'll, I'll be running an audition and, you know, teach the steps, everyone kind of executes them properly in a Broadway audition. I mean, you're, you're in front of everyone, usually everyone in the room in a final callback, everyone could get the job very, very easily. Mm -hmm. But then if you find the people that have made a reason why they are doing the movement, if it hasn't been given to you in an audition, usually I'm like saying you're doing this because you're doing this because you're, this is the venue that you're at. I'll give you a, a moment before just to, for your brains. Yeah. That so informs everyone's performance in an audition in a in an actual performance it, it just elevates to to a new level that i think people uh nowadays need to understand to kind of transcend just the the competition world or just steps you know and and in the world of musical theater you can have the best technique in the world but if you're not telling a story nobody cares yeah um, moving on to the next person there, there's another world for you that's technique based but it's not musical theater um mm-hmm and I remember people coming to see Chaplin and starting to say to me, you're dancing in that show. And in my mind, I was going, am I dancing in that show? I mean, there, there were sections where I had to do like big waltzing and partnering and, and I had a blast learning how to do all that stuff. But I had really thought about it in terms of story. I didn't wrap my head around the fact that I was dancing quite a bit. Um, and then I got a, an Astaire nomination for Chaplin. Mm. I was like, wait. Isn't that for dancing? <laughs> uh, so it's just uh, amazing what you can learn when you don't realize you're learning. But I feel like people will wrap their heads around the fact of seeing you do such incredible movement and, and in their heads, they're telling them that's dancing because you understand your body so well. And it shows that the detail and like you understand like why that shoulder is moving and how much it needs to move and to get the point across to its extent it needs to. So I feel like that is a trick kind of mm -hmm. in that show for people that, you know, says, oh, wow, he's 
an incredible dance. Look at him dance up there. And really you're like, no, I'm just moving and I understand what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have tried to give it a reason. And, and usually the reason is, is how I can, for, for me, a lot of, a lot of the difficulty in dance comes from weight shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I find when I, when I get off on steps, when I cannot pick up a combination and in my head, I'm going like, why can I not get this in my body? It's usually because my weight is not where it's supposed to be to do the next thing. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's having people like you guys in the room who I can go to the side and say, Hey, where is your weight leaning into this count of eight? Because I can't get onto that right foot on that one. And you say like, Oh, it's because when you, when you come out of that turn, for whatever reason, you're stepping onto whatever, however you explain it to me. But then I, it's my job to reverse engineer the reason why I'm planting on that foot on that moment to send my energy elsewhere. And I can't, I don't know what that means dance wise, but it's the only way I can get from one eight to another. I call the 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 connection of the train because if you think about it like any kind of combination, it's a train, right? You're starting at the caboose and then I'm moving to like to the front car. But each eight, each eight of dance or each like full count of dance is a train car, and you want to have those connecting little transitions in between each train car, and that's the way you link it all together. Because yeah. if you if you have a moment to be like, oh, I don't know what's next, even like in an audition setting, what have you, it's like you gotta link up the train, girl. Yeah, you gotta yeah. link up the train. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And usually it's the links where you screw up. Exactly. Right? Because you you're like, like some like little, you're like, oh, I yeah. love the third car. When I get to the third car, I'm home free. It's but I but I it's it's coming out of the fourth car that I don't remember the beginning of the fifth car and I fall down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I usually stop at like the food cart because I'm like, yeah. oh, I get distracted by yeah. uh, hey, a fourteen dollar cheeseburger. Give me <laughs> in the, there. That's the second cheeseburger I've discussed. Can you tell quarantine <laughs> is having a rough <laughs> <laughs> And now all I'm thinking about, because you said like when I think double, I think double from five guys. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of center stage and say, I want a clean double. And I'm like, bitch, I want a messy double. I, give me all the cheese. I like put some yeah. chili on it. Yeah, or I want something. that turn animal style. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, it is funny talking about Chaplin and, and dance. Part of the reason why I was I probably ended up dancing more than I realized is that Warren Carlyle was the director. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's yeah. that. And so, he will he will bring out yeah. the full out of yeah. everyone. Yeah. I mean, he 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 for those of you listening, Warren Carlyle will end a, an audition combination. I'm not kidding. With 12 fuetes into a split. When he has no intention of having 12 fuetes into a split in the show, Mm-mm. his audition process is just about knowing you're capable of doing whatever the hell he comes up with. It's basically mm-hmm. a dare. His auditions are dares. He goes, <laughs> I dare you to be able to do this. And I dare you to commit to doing it eight times a week. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. There's that portion where like yeah. – I, I've been to, yeah. I've been to final callbacks of, of Warren's before, and you're like you leave you leave the call thinking like oh I could get that job, Ooh, but I if I do, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to show you I make I can do this because if I show you I can do this you'll make me do it over and over. That's kind of like in music when we had our circus McGurkis kind of day one. You show Chris could tell you all your tricks. Yeah, don't do you're it. Like be careful. <laughs> what do I want to show today? Because this could be. Don't do it. To the life of my. Don't do it. <laughs> oh, friends, this is my favorite 
dance audition story ever. The great friend and an amazing guy. He went in for Susan Stroman in Big Fish, and he uh, he sang. He went through the whole dance call, cuts, 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 makes it to the final. Uh, they line them up, and they're going down the line. Do you tumble? Do you tumble? Do you tumble? Do you tumble? And he said, uh, he said no. And and then it it went away. He he got cut, and he goes home. Two weeks later, he gets a call that uh, from his agent that says, "Hey, they want you to go in for the ensemble track in Big Fish." And he said. That's strange. I just I just went through that whole thing. I don't I don't know if it's a callback, but they want you to go back in. Okay. So mm-hmm. goes back in. He sings. He does the dance call. They make cuts. They make cuts. They make cuts. He gets in a line, and Susan Stroman says, "Do you tumble? Do you tumble?" She gets to him and goes, "Do you tumble?" And he said, "I'm sorry. I, I was actually here two weeks ago, and I I told you I don't tumble." And Susan Stroman said, "I know. That was two weeks ago." Oh. Uh- <laughs> So like, in those two weeks, have yeah. you just have you learned how to tumbling? do a yeah? Have you have you do you have a you know round off back handspring that you picked up in two weeks? Do you want this job or not? <laughs> Intense. No, I have not changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! How about that? How about that? That is. But then you also, I mean, you also have the people. I mean, because look, dance is such a world where Rob, as you've approached it, as as Chaplin approached it. You kind of visualize this thing and be like, all right, this is what's needed of me. I'm going to figure out how to do it. I'm going to say yes and this is what it's going to be. There is that aspect and then you're in the room and I've seen people who who like maybe haven't tumbled in 10 years yeah, yeah. and then it's just like, all right, do you want to uh, – let's show a quick tumbling pass. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I know how to do this. And everyone just – that collective I, like oh, – You're the word yeah, I think yeah. and you're like, just don't. Yeah. No, you're, I don't, don't think. Like, just out. Just get out. <laughs> yeah. And there is a, such a fine line, right? There is like, there is a very human line where you mm-hmm. say yes to things, but then you, you start to really know what you are capable of and not capable of. And you have to start to protect yourself. And that's, sure. but, but I think that the jackpot, the bullseye is figuring out when you're saying no, because you're not pushing yourself and you're scared. Or when you're saying no because you've proven to yourself by attempting that it's going to hurt you and it's not worth it. And it's usually the fear-based no that I'm opposed to. It, it, sure. It, it, the proven no, I, I agree with. The fear-based no when you don't know whether or not you're capable of it, I'm against. I think you should always go for it. And by go for it, I don't mean do a tumbling pass when you don't know how to. I mean learn. Um, because I, In you know, two weeks. Exactly. But the um, – yeah, it's it, it's uh the knowing yourself, and I remember I uh, and what's so funny is as I'm talking to you, we're talking about like, and yeah, you just learn. I'm thinking about the dozens of open dance calls I went to in my early twenties, where where I was the pe- the guy in the audition who everyone was amused by for how hard he was trying, and at least he's doing something with his face. No one wants to be that guy. I'm telling you now. I've been the guy who everyone's like, oh, what a good sport. Look, that guy doesn't Packing book it, it, friends. That guy doesn't <laughs> book it. The guy who's like, oh, it's so sweet that he came to the dance call when he's not a dancer and he's using this as a free class. Ooh. Like, I, I went in for like 25 paper mill shows to be in the ensemble, and Andy <laughs> Blankenbuehler kicked my ass. 
several. He will hold no prisoners. I I remember doing uh, get me to the church on time dance breaks for their My Fair Lady in like 2002 or whatever, and just talk about not getting weight shifts. I was like constantly, <laughs> I was walking in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, my God. Um, Rob, Rob, on that audition note, take us through kind of like your mindset for auditions. So obviously coming from a place of not being a dancer first. Yeah. And you're walking into these auditions and you obviously go through all the singing, all the acting. You read every side, everything. And then they say, "Okay, now we have to give you movement. Yeah. Right. So I guess. Talk us through kind of where your head's at for that. I know you said you look to the person in the room who you can go to and be like, hey, what mm -hmm. is this? Yeah. But for those people who also relate to your story and don't lead with dance and are like, hey, I'm actually, you know, whatever character who isn't supposed to move yeah. ever. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's going to have to do a four, eight count combination just to even get the job that doesn't move. So where do you place your mind for that? And talk us through I think um, what's nice is that I have created um, the expectation now that I'll pick it up and I continue to promise that, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm very lucky that people tend to have seen me do things that make them think I'm capable of the thing they're asking me to do. Like I, I now, for better or worse, have the reputation of like, we need someone to stand on a circus ball and juggle chainsaws. McClure will figure it out, which yeah. is a, oh, which is a, a great, a great thing and a terrifying thing because yeah. it's the, um, it's the expectation of like, but he's the guy who will figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes for dance as well. I think there are still choreographers who go, I know he's not trained. We know he's not trained. We're not going to ask him to do a triple. But I think he's capable of this tap break. I think he's capable of this partnering. I think he's capable of this thing that we want him to do. I think he's capable of the movement aspect of it. So I go into those rooms with the mission of showing them that with a week's rehearsal, I can do the thing you're asking me to do. Mm -hmm. I, Potential. I'm, I might not have it by the end of this, but that my speed of learning is fast enough that you can tell that by the first time you said it and by the last time I do it, there's been accelerated learning. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, I kind of liken it to when I went in for puppet camp on Avenue Q, you have five days 10 to six where they teach you this puppetry. And by the end of that week, they are not looking for you to know how to, do Muppet puppetry, mm -hmm. but they are looking for you to be a whole lot, hell of a lot better, whole lot, hell of a lot mm -hmm. better than you were five days ago. And right. that, that is the same exact process, but it's 20 minutes long in a dance mo mo moment where they're, where in 20 minutes they can see like, is this hopeless or is there, or can we tell that he will eventually get this? Um, and it's about proving to them that I can learn it. Not that I just learned it, but proving to them that I can learn it. Um, and, and that has to be real confidence. They're not going to invest in you if they don't. And uh, Stimson, I'm sure you see people all the time where you go like, I can, you guys can tell like, Oh, within, totally. within four, four counts, eight counts. I mean, as far as like, who's there, who's with us, whether, I mean, it's, it's, we're looking, the potential is kind of, uh, is absolutely what we're looking. We're not looking for finished product in 20 minutes well, that is what rehearsals for yeah. that is what that whole mm -hmm. process is meant to be yeah and, and i think it depends i'm not going to be called in for american in paris 
because there are because no. there are people who who do that. And usually when I'm being called in now, they know what I do. And it's about um, we don't need a technique driven thing here. We'll get some technique out of you if because usually I work with great choreographers like Casey Nicklaw who are like, by the end of this freaking song, you're going to be able to do this. God damn it. Um, and you rise to the occasion. Um, yeah. But uh, but people tend. There's to, no other choice. There. Yeah, but but to your question, Jack, about like what do I do when I when I used to be in those rooms with people and I'm looking around, a lot of it is. Um, I know this is silly, but it's playing a character. Um, like there's a great quote uh, that Winston Churchill called Chaplin the greatest ballet dancer of all time, and mm. and Chaplin never studied ballet, but he did tons of it in his movies because he's making you think he's a ballerina. And there's a part of that in any dance call where I go like, I'm not this person, but I know how to play this person. And, and what is that? What can I incorporate in my body that makes you think I'm the person capable of doing this, even if it's not technically proficient at that moment. And then the technical proficiency comes later with study. And by later, I mean like you got 48 hours probably (laughs) before they're like, we're changing that. Um, uh, But it is, it's a complicated process, you know, and, and, you know, a good career is one where you've built faith in you for other people. You've built a certain, Mm. you know what I mean? You, uh, people know you'll get there. And that is, that's, that's part of networking to me. You know what I mean? And networking has nothing to do with schmoozing and everything to do with building faith. And, and every time a, a door cracks open and somebody says, learn this 16 bars, you learn it. And you, yeah. and over time, part of your networking has been proving yourself over and over and over and over and over. Sure. So it's like believing in your own stock that it's going to rise. Absolutely. If you will. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, well, because I mean, when you approach it in that kind of character way, like you say, like, well, I'm not a ballet dancer, but I know how to act this. I, I've, I've seen enough. I've practiced enough. I've uh, maybe not practiced like in a ballet class, but you can approach it in a character kind of sense. You can essentially chameleon yourself into this version, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as far as I was, I was walking my dog today thinking of like of our era of kind of like Broadway performers in our in our generation right now there's only like a few that strike me as like the true chameleons and i get i get two names and rob you are one you are absolutely one and i think the other is like is like a jefferson mays type um performer and i think there is such a world of this completely transformative experience in every single one of your characters you could literally watch every single one of your Broadway shows and be like, how is this the same person? Uh And I think, I mean, yeah, yes, because it's, it is a deep dive and it is a hundred percent commitment. I've, I mean, I've seen Broadway shows where you're like, Oh, this is this person doing their take on this. You watch, I mean, you watch Ron McClure do a role and it's, I mean, I don't want to say I'm not watching Ron McClure because then I'm watching, uh, I'm watching Jack Singer. I'm watching Nick Bottom. I'm watching uh, w- what have you. It's it's just this such. I don't know. I, I explain the deep dive to me because it, it's something that's always kind of escaped me, as far as like the acting world. If if I'm moving, I can get lost in it. But I think there's this thing of you get lost in this acting, but such in a controlled way of. I'm now this person. There's. A, I worked with a really great director named Aaron Posner, 
and he used a term that I've adopted, and I think it's it, it reflects what you're talking about. And he used to use a term that he coined uh, that is actually, actually. And he would say, we were doing a, a murder mystery, a Ken Ludwig murder mystery, and it was a great, great play. But it was one of those moments where the lights go out and they come back on and someone has a knife in their back on the dining room table, right? <laughs> and everyone was like, you know, freaking out. And he goes, guys, 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 I need higher stakes when those lights come up. So people were like shrieking and knocking over chairs and like running away from the body. And uh, he stopped and he said, no, 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 I'm not asking for um, l large behavior. I'm asking for stakes. And the way I think you guys need to get the stakes is I just need you to do what you would actually, actually do if the lights went out and they came back up and someone was laying there with a knife in their back. Can you just do what you would actually, actually do? I don't need large behavior. I just need real behavior because the real behavior makes the stakes go through the roof. So I remember coming out of the stage door at Honeymoon in Vegas and people saying, oh my God, your facial expressions when you're oh. in that Elvis suit and they're about to push you out of the plane. And, I, and, I, and I, as much as I love that compliment, no part of me is making facial expressions. No. What I'm doing is what I would actually, actually do <laughs> if I found out the only way off my plane is to jump out of it jump. with a bunch of Elvises. Sorry, jump, jump, <laughs> jump, <-ity> jump, jump <laughs> out of the plane. Thank you. Like the it's the it's the circumstance that's extraordinary. That's larger. I hate the terms larger than life or over mm -hmm. the top mm -hmm. because and musical theater gets that bad rap all the time because it's um it somehow insinuates that the behavior is false. Mm. And I think musical theater tends to, because immediately you're singing and dancing, the the world that you're operating in and the things that happen to your character are larger than life. How you react to them has to be grounded or else the audience has nothing to latch on to. So if, I, if I'm at a point where I need to uh, disguise myself as an elderly Scottish woman to be the nanny to my own children, I have to get to a place where I actually, actually am that desperate to see my kids. And I'm actually, actually trying to convince my wife, who is six feet from my six inches from my face, that I'm an elderly Scottish woman. And I think it's things like that that make you, you know, my first instinct is to like do some crazy old lady voice. And then you get in that room and Jen Gambatis is six inches from your face and you go, if I do that, she will immediately know this is not real. She will immediately right. call me on that and say, you are my husband and this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. So whatever I do has to be so nuanced that it feels like a real person because if it's not, you're going to call me on it. You know what I mean? Like it has to be, it can't be silly. If it's, I just melt it. if it's well, if it's silly, the audience doesn't buy it. And, and if they don't buy it, then my family is stupid. My family's stupid for not recognizing me. And if you're asking them to like willing suspension of disbelief, go like, well, it's a it's a show. Of course they're not. Of course they don't recognize him. Or we can go to the place of actually, actually, until the audience would believe that they don't know it's me. And and that's where great artists like Robin Williams were masters at that type of transformative stuff. You know, hmm. and mm -hmm. and and I love the whole like. I, I so appreciate that compliment uh, about the chameleon thing because people often ask about like is the character you because of some some actors are like it the, the greatest acting is just being yourself 
and like listening to your own instincts. And then some people say it's about transformation. And I actually think it's both. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely. It, it's about mm-hmm. if I'm playing Sweeney Todd, if Rob McClure was born in turn of the century England to the parents of Benjamin Barker, and then he fell in love and his wife was taken away from him from by a judge and exile and then he was exiled to Australia and he jumped off a boat and he came back and was losing his I would be Sweeney Todd. So it's just about mm-hmm. putting myself through the life of that individual, but through my singular lens, through Rob McClure's singular lens that makes me arrive on my version of whoever. So like Mrs. Doubtfire is mine because as much as Robin Williams will inadvertently influence me, because how could he not? He's a genius. Mm -hmm. I have to go through Daniel Hillard's roadmap through the lens of me, and then you arrive at my Mrs. Doubtfire. But it, it simultaneously, Mrs. Doubtfire, and and me, uh, having mm-hmm. gone through whatever the hell that person went through. Gosh. Oh, that's wild. Oh my God. That, that literally just Rob McClure and the journey. I mean, because when people would just say like, well, yeah, I bring myself into the character. You have such a specific way of like bringing that, like the zoom out of kind of seeing the entire picture as if I was like, you know, do you ever see like Minority Report? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Where, where he has like the 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 gloves that you can just boom, 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 and like change the screen and zoom in on this, take this out, blah, blah, blah. I feel like you can see that with like an entire character of like the entire journey. Be like, I want to bring this in. I want to experience this portion and then bring my life of this into here. It's It's just, I think... Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I ramble right there. But. No, 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 no. I totally get what you mean. But that's how I feel. I mean, you you both are prime examples of people who who dance but are always acting. And there and there's you know that like Jack. When I, I've seen you in four or five things now, I think. Um, and every time I do, there is you are never flipping to flip ever. <laughs> Ever. The dude, the dude is committed. But, you know what I mean? But I, there's always the stake. Like I, like we were just talking about the acting, the stakes are high enough that I believe the celebratory nature that has gotten you to the place of doing that. Mm. It's never cause, cause nothing drives me crazier than like curtain up. And the ensemble is a bunch of dancers with briefcases, like Walking, walking, walking. We're upwardly mobile. We're upwardly mobile. We go to work and we're upwardly. And and one of them gets to zero and does a triple for no reason, and then walks off the other side of the stage. I, that's not musical theater to me. I don't understand. Yes, sir. Jack, do you want to do you want to share our favorite uh, segment of the show with Rob? Totally. Um, Rob, we like to cap off every episode here with. In a, with a segment we called should have shot it and this is coming from the prom movie that we just worked on and there was a time with meryl streep and she's doing the number it's not about me right the one in the pta room can we just talk about your lives for a second that's a, those are sentences that you say about your lives that are true so meryl streep i was with meryl streep when we were meryl <laughs> yeah, streeping and yeah. let me just acknowledge i just hope that you both let those sentences land on your hearts that that is your life I do like the verb to like to. I was Meryl streeping. streeping. Yes, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. just like oh my god, I gotta okay. stop streeping. I know you're Nicole Kidmaning me. Oh okay. god. <laughs> okay. Okay. What else? Do another. Okay. One. No, no. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh my god. Um. So, 
Meryl Streep was streepening in the <laughs> It's Not About Me. The and... streepening is a new M. Night Shyamalan movie. That's a... <laughs> You'll never believe the twist. Yeah, exactly. never believe it. Um, so she was doing the number and it was it was a rehearsal, but she was, you know, trying to prove an idea and wanted to put an idea into this number. She does the whole number, all the lights, all the music, all the backgrounds there. Everyone's doing their part. And she finishes the number on this big stage. This gold curtain drops behind her and it then ends in a blackout. Right. And then everyone's completely silent because the background is doing their job and just like not saying a word and everyone is just you know, in rehearsal. And then you hear her yell, should have shot it from the stage. And it's, <laughs> we're in complete darkness. The dance team of Brendan, Beth, myself, and Patrick are just like applauding. We're like, yeah, that is correct. You should have shot it. Cause that was amazing. We've been waiting for that take. Oh, that's um, amazing. But anyway, so we like to bring this segment around being what is a moment in your life career that you have done yourself or you've witnessed that you wish should have been shot. Like what oh, is it you wish could have been captured forever? Just to be captured. Like that yeah. moon oh. reference you gave earlier. That's, that's a great one. But what is something you wish everyone could see forever and ever? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. I should have shot it when she went through the moon for sure. <laughs> um, there was a really great moment in uh, Chaplin in La Jolla where it was the first time we were, we were doing a photo shoot and they sent me for the first time to put everything on and do like the grayscale makeup uh. so that because that whole show was black and white so literally we were painting our skin gray and uh a, a whole thing and it was the first time i was getting into the hat and the mustache and the flower in my lapel and the cane and the whole so three weeks into rehearsal i finally go into a room to put on the stuff right and I lean into the mirror and I put the mustache on for the first time. And I, I lean back and I was like, this is wild, right? So I get up and I'm walking to the photo shoot and I'm trying to do all of the stuff that Dan is talking about. I'm trying to like ground myself in this costume and I'm trying to like get the, because I know that whatever photos we're about to take are going to haunt me for the next, however long we do the show in La Jolla. And <laughs> in, in, like, if I don't get the, bend of the cane right somebody's gonna pull up a clip of Chaplin and be like um it's actually supposed to be this angle like the there are always diehard fans of things Mrs. Doubtfire is similar right mm. people are looking for the ways that you've failed them in the thing that mm. they love mm -hmm. so you feel such a responsibility to get it right so I'm walking to this photo shoot just trying to get it all in my body getting ready for this thing and all of a sudden I hear someone slam up against the um this huge glass walls of the rehearsal space where everyone is rehearsing and someone has seen me for the oh. first time in all of the stuff walking by as the little tramp and they all 55 people go running to the glass window and start crying uh, and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me in the stuff for the first time and Jen Colella is like freaking out out and runs outside and like hugs me and lifts me off of the ground. Um, and they all were like freaking out at how uncanny it was when it, all the pieces were put together. And that that's a moment that I will never forget. And that if we shot it, if we should have shot it, <laughs> the thing we would cut to is then on uh, the first Friday of the run, Chaplin's family came <gasps> and his like, 
kids and grandkids, um, his surviving kids and his grandkids came and Kiara Chaplin, his granddaughter, wrote an email to the composer and said, uh, hey, what is the clip that you guys have at the end of the show of the little tramp walking off into the sunset because I've been trying to find it all weekend and I can't find it. And it was a clip that we had filmed on a field on La Jolla, in La Jolla the day that we're talking about. And they, because I was walking away from the camera, the family thought it was him and was asking like- I thought it was him? Yeah. So I got that email at like three o'clock in the morning and the composer forwarded, oh. Chris Curtis forwarded it to me and said, just want you to know that for that moment, they thought it was their grandpa. And oh I- I just I will I'm, I will yeah. ball right was, now. That, that's the shot at moments are emotional. <laughs> oh my god, what? this is a heavy should have shot at you every yeah. week. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was that is wonderful. Wild. Wild I mean, ride. The compliment of all compliments. Truly. I mean, truly the compliment to end all compliments. That that uh was a cool day out on that field with Warren Carlisle. <laughs> wow. As we walk in fields of Chaplin. Yep. <laughs> I like it. I like That's it. That's a perfect yeah. way to wrap up. Oh, man. Oh, I Rob, this has been an Rob, absolute best. dream, my friend. Are you kidding? I talked way too much like I normally do. This is a podcast. <laughs> I think that's what we do on a podcast. <laughs> but now it's my turn. Okay, so Jack, when did you first? And. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening to our pod. <laughs> We're a pod now. It's been it's been deemed pod no, by I, Rod. No, or... Nowadays, pod usually refers to like the people you're allowed to see during COVID. That's literally what I hear. I I'm know. just like, well, no, my, my pod is very small. I wish I'm my pod, pod. I wish my pod included you two fools because I miss hugs and and grabbing Midtown beers with you both. Mm. Oh, I wish I'm going to take a last sip of my Midtown beer right here, <laughs> up in Inwood. All right, it, my Inwood <laughs> beer. Well, you're the best, Rob. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And, you know, you're a dad and busy with the family. So we are very appreciative of your time. So thank you. Are you kidding? I This is the first time I've talked to other adults in, this, in the last three months. <laughs> 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 the pleasure is mine. Well, we're so glad to have you, Rob. All right. Thanks, guys. Love you. Hey, it's Brendan. Hey, it's Jack. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to hop on over to our Instagram at again underscore podcast and give us a follow. A like. A comment. A DM. Because we want to hear from you. Let us know how we're doing. Sure. 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 And before you press next to play your next podcast. Hopefully it's us again. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And give us a rating if you love what you're hearing. Again from the top is produced by Dory Berenstein. And Alan Seals. Stay tuned for our next five, six, seven, eight. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.